in this series presented by the Canadian Heart Failure Society, you will learn about some of the top heart failure conundrums in patients with heart failure and reduced ejection fraction, and how to manage these common clinical issues in your practice. You will hear about some of the challenges and learn of evidence-based recommendations for the management of hyperkalemia, chronic kidney disease, and worsening heart failure to improve outcome in this patient. An on-demand version of the 260-minute webinar presented on the same topics is available right now at www.imedicus.ca-top33, the number. To learn more about the Canadian Heart Failure Society and find more about upcoming program and initiative, visit us at theheartfailure.ca. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Hello, I'm Anique Ducharme, I'm the President of Canadian Heart Failure Society, and today I have the pleasure to work with uh, Dr. Justin Izekovic, who's a Professor of Medicine at the University of Alberta and Vice President of the Canadian Heart Failure Society. So let's start with a case. This is uh, David. David is a 74-year-old male. He had the myocardial infarction five years ago and has heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. A recent uh, left ventricular ejection fraction was 38%. A patient uh, is thin, BMI of 24, uh, vital sign uh, blood pressure of 102 over 65, a heart rate of 76, easy volumic, GVP are normal, and you get the labs. The EGFR is 68, pretty decent for a heart failure patient, and his albumin creatinine ratio is 5.6. Is uh, he suffered from uh, diabetes and his uh, A1C is 6.8%, normal hemoglobin, uh, potassium 4.7. He's on uh, many of the good drugs we know metformin, citaglipin, XR, uh, 1050 milligrams daily, atorvastatin 80, aspirin 81, bisoprol 5, secubitril valzartan 24-26 BID furosemide 40 BID, and spirolactone to 12.5 daily. So now David presented to the ER. He's short of breath. He gained some about five kilos. And he really looks volume overload. He has a decreased uh, EGFR. And when you examine him, he's not in shock. Lactates are normal, but he has severe lower uh, leg edema. His GVP are um, very high, and his antipro BNP is uh, 3,100. So, Justin, let me start by asking you a question. If you see David, what would trigger uh, in your head that he's developing a worsening heart failure? So, Anik, thanks for that introduction of that case. So, I think what we have in front of us is a patient who has both the signs and symptoms of heart failure. And what we're trying to now tease out is whether or not the patient's shortness of breath or any other symptoms such as um, that they've developed are in fact related to heart failure. So one of the key things that we've learned over the last decades uh, where we've trying to understand does this patient have heart failure is we'll, we'll get to doing the echocardiograms and natriuretic peptides, but from a history, do you actually know if they're having uh, heart failure? So shortness of breath, fatigue, dyspnea on exertion, orthopnea, PND, 
development of lower extremity edema or any other volume overload uh, signs are really important. One of the other parts about worsening heart failure is thinking about um, the, the challenges. So do they have a progression of their signs and symptoms of heart failure for which then you would institute medical therapy? Um, or are they experiencing a heart failure event? And those events are very easier to, dis to distinguish as in, have they been into the ER or are they in the emergency department where you're seeing them? Or are they in the hospital where they obviously been admitted for heart failure? Well, those are, I think, more straightforward. But even in the outpatient setting, when people have developed a need for increasing or up titrating their diuretics or adding an additional diuretic or trying to get IV diuretics, that's a real good trigger to know that worsening heart failure is uh, right in front of you. And sometimes that's the, the trigger we need to keep in mind. Excellent. If like this patient was class two and now becomes class three, even though there's some overlap when we evaluate the patient, uh, symptoms is very important. And how would you manage a patient who come, if David, uh, now I see him is stable, but comes back in the emergency room and he has the sign of a worsening heart failure you just described, what would you do with David? Well, I think the, you know, beyond the, the usual ABCs of emergency management, which we all assume are, are in place, uh, the key is a strategy of we do need to think about the excess volume that he may be carrying. And that's the typical approach to either increasing oral diuretics or preferentially using IV diuretics. Um, often admitting to the hospital, about 80% of our patients are admitted to hospital for management because they do require that uh, the length of care and the, uh, the types of things that a hospital can deliver. But even in managing in the, in the ER, is starting the IV diuretics to get rid of the over the volume overload. But I think the next phase is really thinking about, you know, what is the trigger of their symptoms? Uh, and then what's their underlying etiology that might be also playing a role? Because those things may inform us in terms of what our steps might be going down for the next few days or, or a few months. Then the final part of that strategy is thinking about what are the therapies we have in place um, already? So what are they on from a medical therapy perspective or device therapy perspective? that are already helping, but what are the things we need to, to add in or shift now that we have not yet added in? So are there new medications? Is there an increase in medications required? Or is there a strategy of removing an offending medication which may have triggered them? So those are the, the ways I would approach this out of the gates. And, and also talking with David about as a patient to make sure that they understand why we're doing each thing along the way and make sure that what their values and preferences are for, for doing any of these things we're considering. Excellent. So I'll remind you, he's on uh, metformin, atorvastatin, aspirin, and in terms of uh, foundational therapies on uh, bisoprolol 5, secubitril, vazartan, uh, very low dose, 24, 26 BID, furosemide, 40 BID, and spironolactone, 12.5. Any burning thing you would do right off the bat when the patient comes in the emergency room? Yeah, so I think the initial uh, approach is going to be maximizing the renin-angiotensin approach, which would be more about the sacubitril valsartan and the spironolactone. Uh, their furosemide will likely be an increase in furosemide, switching to an IV furosemide, which would be an option. And then during the hospital stay, I'd want to consider uh, increasing their bisoprolol when we felt comfortable that we could manage that gently, uh, so slow and steady. And then finally, we should consider uh, from a from a diabetes care, we would say, well, that's okay diabetes care, but from a heart failure perspective, you know, adding in an SGLT2 inhibitor would be the appropriate time uh, to start thinking about that now, because why wait? 
Um, but then also start to assess um, if, if, if this is an appropriate uh, individual for the advanced therapies such as Evabradine, Verisiguat, uh, do we need to consider other uh, things and other devices that should be appropriate? And we wanna do those very quickly. So we or plan to do those as an outpatient so we don't forget that they're quite important for changing outcomes. Yeah, well, can you talk to me about the, those new therapies like Verisiguat uh, and Omicarbion? Sure. So uh, briefly, uh, Versiguat is a soluble guanylate cyclase uh, modulator. So SGC sits centrally in the cell and it modulates the way in which we produce cyclic GMP, which is kind of the, the energy molecule for all of our cells to, to get work done. Um, SGC or Versiguat in the way it modulates that SGC changes some of the way the vasculature works and the heart, uh, the muscle works. Um, in the Victoria trial, what was tested was Verisiguat versus placebo uh, with a median follow-up of about 10.8 uh, 10, uh, months. And what was tested was, uh, in, sorry, the Verisiguat was tested in patients with HEFREF um, who had had a recent worsening heart failure event. So a patient very much like David. Um, and during that trial, it identified that there was an absolute risk reduction. Uh, so it hit its primary endpoint, but an absolute risk reduction of 4.2% per 100 patient years on cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization. So it met its primary endpoint to reduce clinical events in a, in a very sick population with high natriuretic peptides and an overall high risk for events. Uh, as a reminder in Victoria, a third of patients had an event within the year. So had a hospitalization or died in the year. So it's extremely high compared to other clinical trials uh, occurring at the same time. So it puts it in perspective. Um, the, the other trial that I think people should be aware of is the Galactic trial, which used a very similar strategy of testing omocamptive macarbal, which is um, a cardiac myosin activator, kind of like a more ores in the water type of, um, uh, type of molecule against placebo. In an 8,000 patient clinical trial, um, including patients who are in hospital, randomized in hospital, low GFR was allowed, low blood pressure was allowed, and really tested the very same strategy on cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization as a primary endpoint, and also met its primary endpoint, although it seems to have a greater effect on those patients with a lower ejection fraction and a lower blood pressure, as in those patients at the, at the greatest risk. Um, so those two trials are, are really contemporary you know, 5,050 patient trial and 8,000 patient trial. These are massive trials in this area of worsening heart failure that we need to really pay some attention to. Wow. So that means once I've established the foundational therapy, when uh, David comes in, if he, he remains symptomatic, I still have other uh, agent in my toolbox. That's great. Thank you very much for the overview, um, Justin. Uh, if I can summarize and... A few sentences, what we've tried to achieve today in terms of a learning point. Uh, I, I hope people realize that outcomes for patients with FRF has improved dramatically over the past years, thanks to the uh, four drugs, the foundational new therapies. But there's still some residual risk, like David, who comes in emergency room. The 2021 uh, CCSCHFS guideline update provide really a uh, comprehensive management of patient with FRAF, and they can be found on ccs.ca. You can download them. And lastly, but not least, the Victoria and Galactic Heart Failure Trials provide some guidance on the potential role of Verisiguat and omicamptive Mercabil in FRAF for those patients uh, who remain symptomatic. So there's still a lot of work for us to do, but I think, I 
least we have the tools to do so. So thank you very much, Justin. It was uh, very pleasant to have this podcast with you. Thanks, Anika. Thanks for having me. This program was made possible through educational grants from Bayer and Otsuka Pharmaceutical.